hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Some cities are more open for business to LGBTQ plus people and some are not. Cities that are tend to be more economically dynamic, innovative, attract higher skilled workers and have a higher quality of life. But which cities are more open to LGBTQ plus people and which aren't? Find out today on Career Money episode number 368 when we talk with George Perlov of Open for Business, a coalition of leading global companies dedicated to LGBTQ plus inclusion. Let's get on with the show. You're listening to the Queer Money Podcast, personal finance with a rainbow twist. Queer Money is dedicated to financial independence, financial well-being, investing knowledge, and the intersection of all things money as an LGBTQ person. Queer Money is made possible by Capital One. Capital One believes that financial well-being includes your mental, physical, and financial health. Check out CapitalOne.com today. Welcome, George Perlov, to the Queer Money Podcast. We're excited to have you. Thank you very much. Awesome. So to give our listeners and David and me as well, a rundown of what is Open for Business and what you're all about. Sure. Open for Business was founded about seven years ago in London. It's a UK-based charity that's a coalition of 35-plus global corporations that are committed to LGBT inclusion around the world. Nice. Very important business. Yeah. So it's a, it's a charity that's working at the corporate level, right? Exactly. We're set up as a charity, but our coalition that we've formed over the years represents companies from you know Google to Microsoft to IKEA to CNA to a whole host of BCG, McKinsey, Accenture, a whole host of, of big names that corporate names that are known around the world. Yeah. Nice. I, I will say, you know, John and I just coming off of being at Out and Equal here in the U.S. The, the their summit, it's again a reminder to us about the power that corporations have to move the needle significantly when it comes to LGBT rights, especially in the workplace. Exactly, and I think you know we see, especially from companies that are from the U.S., U.K., Northern Europe, there's a huge commitment. To LGBT inclusion and a huge commitment to taking action and speaking out and advocacy. What we find is often harder, and a lot of the work that we do is based in places that's really hard for queer people. And by the way, I'm using the term queer people for LGBTQ plus interchangeably. So just in case there's a question of what I mean. But you know, places like Poland, places like Kenya, places like the Caribbean, where we have colleagues and programs set up, it's a lot harder for companies to be outspoken on issues. And that's really a lot of the work that we try to do at the local level. Gotcha. And so you reached out to us. Actually, Paul Donovan, who was on the podcast before, he made an introduction to us, said that Open for Business does this important study every couple of years. And um, we thought that we would be intrigued by it. And he happened to be correct. <laughs> we were very intrigued by it. Uh, this is the kind of thing that really gets us excited. So every couple of years, it seems like every two years, Open for Business does what's called its cities ratings. And the Open for Business City Ratings 2022 was recently published. Why do you conduct this study every year? What is the, what is the, the mission of this study specifically? 
Well, the study really is the first of its kind in this area. There are a lot of studies that talk about what cities are most economically viable. And there are a lot of studies that look at where's the best place for LGBT people to live or work or travel, but we've never brought them together. And that's really what Open for Business is about, is looking at a number of indicators about cities and their competitiveness, and at the same time, looking at how welcoming are they for LGBT people broadly and how strong are the rights of LGBT people in these places. And it just brings, for us, it really brings a message of what we're trying to do, the economic case for LGBT inclusion, to a much broader audience around the world. And that's really why, why we started this about four years ago, and then have been doing it every two years since. Yeah, I, I just we, we just think that's so important. We've been talking more about that on, on the podcast, that yes, there's a moral case, and there's a human rights case for LGBTQ inclusion, but we also think there's a strong economic argument for it. And more and more organizations and studies of, of various sorts are, are really supporting that. And we'll dive into that a little bit later. I don't want to jump the gun, but that just we just think that's a really powerful message, especially coming from two money nerds, right? We think it's important to have the underlying economic case. Because I, I think that for a lot of the folks who aren't necessarily inherently supportive of our community, they tend to be very focused on economics. And if we can sort of bridge that gap and show that there's actually an economic case, a quality of life case in, in the city that you live in, economic mobility, access to products and services and innovation, then that's speaking sort of their language as well. But I'll, I'll hold off a little bit. <laughs> Yes, exactly. That's it. Because that business leaders understand that they make their decisions based on numbers and, 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 and the economic case, as do policymakers, the mayors, you know, and the governors and, and others in the region are all looking at these issues very carefully because they realize that there is an impact on the bottom line. But of course, you're absolutely right. I mean, number one, I mean, we support all of the local LGBT NGOs in, in the regions where we work, and they are really our guide for how we should be supporting them. But for most of them and the businesses that we talk to in the region, they really are supportive of the work that we're doing. And, and because it does add an argument that that's not been made before or not been made well enough yeah. before. Wonderful. And I'll also add a, that in the queer community in for LGBT folks, there seems to be a lot of appetite for where should I go, right? We, we know that city lists or country lists are oftentimes very searched for LGBT folks. Our our Gay Cities article is our number one performing article on the Debt Free Guys. And it's interesting that that paired with something like this allows people to see maybe where the best competition is, right? It's it's not just for those of us who are looking to be more mobile and maybe go where we want to get a better quality of life, but it's also maybe competition for these cities to look at and say, how do we up our game to attract the best kind of candidates for the companies that want to come here? You want to move up in this list, you want to be more inclusive, you're probably then going to be, it's going to be easier for you to lure a company like Google or Microsoft or ABB, somebody like that, you know, bringing these companies in is a little bit easier when you can say we rank really well on lists like this. 
Exactly, exactly. And even, you know, when companies are thinking about either expanding their operations or moving their headquarters or making these kinds of decisions, these are the kinds of things we know that they're taking into account. I know, I think Amazon, in fact, looked at that very carefully in the US a few years ago when they were relocating and made the decision to go to New York. And I think there were a few other places that were in consideration. And they said, you know, this is the reason why, because there's such a strong correlation with LGBT inclusion and innovation and creativity and all mm-hmm. of these other things that businesses, you know, want where businesses want to be, you know, they want to be in that kind of environment. Exactly. All right. So let's get some definitions out of the way. What exactly does it mean to be open for business? <laughs> so our rankings go from A to you know to D basically and, and showing that and similar to the ratings that the ratings agencies use for stocks and bonds. And I so you that. want to be like a triple A, <laughs> yes. So triple A cities, you know, you know, that we, we see around the world, like New York, like Amsterdam, you know, are really are the ones that score highest both on competitiveness, economic competitiveness, and LGBT inclusion. And inclusion, we look at both rankings on social inclusion. So are, you know, from studies that people have done, are LGBT people seen as being, you know, well-received in these countries? And secondly, on the rights, you know, are in terms of marriage rights, ability for trans people to change their name, get legal recognition, there's a ban on conversion therapy, things like that. Those are the kinds of things that we look at. And so cities that do really well in both of those areas are we considered open for business. And those, you know, and then we go down, you know, quite a quite a ways down to the bottom of the list, which is where, you know, typically it's very low ranking on economically and a very low ranking on LGBT issues. And there's definitely a correlation between those two things as well. That is a very striking correlation. It does seem the, just the less inclusive. But then you can, when you're also, when you start to see cities being less and less inclusive of LGBTQ people, you also notice that there's a parallel with women's rights and other minority rights. And then economics seems to be correlated. It's hard to say that there's not a causation there because there seems to be so strongly correlated, but it's, it's, it's very apparent. Right. Yeah, we haven't done data to show like a full causation, which, as you know, is really much, much more involved. But there's so many, so much data that just shows the, the, the relationships here. And just to your point, too, what's, what's also interesting is that, you know, there are a few outliers in this as well. So, for example, cities that do really well economically, but are really poor on LGBT issues. And just as an example, you can look at a lot of the cities in the Middle East mm-hmm. for that right now. And maybe a lot of people are looking at Doha and Qatar because the World Cup, as we know, is heading there this week or next week. And so I think there's a lot of attention on cities like that. But we realize those cities are never going to raise their rankings right. unless they you know, change the kind of attitude and, and beliefs and barriers that exist now for LGBT people. Similarly, Singapore is sort of in that category as well. It's never going to get to that top ranking, although, I mean, there have been recently some movement there. But that just gives a flavor of some of the the outliers that are in the report. 
Capital One strives to inspire a better financial path for everyone, including the LGBTQ community, through access to credit, tools to manage debt, and product features. Digital products such as CreditWise and Eno are designed to take the stress out of money by helping you manage credit, a key source of potential stress, and stay on top of spending without worrying all the time. Sign up for CreditWise for free today. So just to, to clarify, I think one of the important things to remind folks is that when we're looking at these cities in this list, this isn't necessarily an affordability, a place where it would be easy for me to move there. It's an economic viability, right? So it's a it's the kind of place where businesses themselves will do well. And if you're wanting to, I guess, as an individual, climb the ranks of corporate America or corporate globally, these are probably cities where you're going to find headquarters and large organizations that would be much more, you'd have much more likelihood of being able to do that. Exactly. It is a business focused index. And in just in terms of the US, for example, we have a limit of 10, 10 cities you know, it, per country. And that's the US has that because of this, just the size, that number of cities included in it. So it's not a complete, it's 145 cities. So it's not every city around the world. It would be take a lot of more energy and time and, <laughs> and commitment we were to actually, that kind of report. Yeah, we, yeah. Were, we were at dinner last night with a close friend of ours, and we were talking about how we were going to do this interview. And he immediately asks, you know, we recently moved to Toledo, Ohio, Ohio. And he's like, well, how does Toledo rank on the list? And we're like, oh. Well, no, it's not on the list at all because <laughs> it's not one of the premier U.S. Yeah. cities. <laughs> but what, one of the things about the index that's interesting and what we want companies to do, and especially their employee resource groups, is to be able in whatever city they're in, is to start to look at you know how well their city scores on on some of these these topics, and you know where there might be opportunity, especially on the LGBT side, to push up the rankings a little more in the future. I mean, we do see this as a tool for growth for this, yeah. for, for cities and for companies to use. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a great a example, a, example yeah. for them to use, right? Especially mm-hmm. if, you know, if they're trying to be competitive on other things like the HRC Corporate Equality Index, using these kinds of uh, this as a tool to say, are we doing as well as other corporations in these other cities? Exactly. Everyone likes a list. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Especially this time of year, right? What is, from your perspective personally, and maybe as an organization, what is what are the biggest surprises that came to you from the study this year? Well, I, I think it's been a hard year. I mean, between you know, a lot of attacks on democracy overall, and I think that's where we see you know, a lot of these you know, social inclusion scores being, being hit. I think we've had a lot of attacks on democracy, even in places like the United States, which has sort of been a beacon in the past. But we've seen, you know, even on Transparency International's list, it's beginning to slip a bit. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the rights, you know, we see the huge issues now on trans inclusion and transparenting and all of that kind of stuff has really shown up in, in this year's report. And we've seen that in the US, we've seen that in the UK. And other places that you know would surprise you in some in, in some instances, but I think there have also been some really like wonderful little surprises in places that you wouldn't expect. Like for example, Bangalore in India, which is a very big technology hub, now has a, a whole innovation center there, which we think is really terrific. 
And they've also taken a lot of actions around LGBT anti-discrimination, which we think is just amazing as well. Oh, nice. And 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 what the point there too to say is that cities are often much more ahead of their na- of their state and national governments on these areas. Cities can really take you know big steps forward. I think we see that off- often in the U.S. in like San Francisco, for example, what they've been doing you know around car emissions and things like that. And we see the same here with LGBT issues as well, that cities often take really strong stances. A number of the cities in Latin America have also, Santiago, Mexico City, and some others have taken steps where they're allowing same-sex marriage, for example, or partner, you know, like partner adoptions or things like that, that, you know, really are, are really big steps for what we consider developing countries in, in many ways. So it's super exciting to see these kind of these actions happening right now. You know, I think one of the the things that is this might be a reminder to us, those of us who live in the States, that we oftentimes have been, in many cases, been the leader in LGBT rights being pushed forward. And other people in other countries have been wishful and hoping, right? And that, that that would happen. And maybe this is an opportunity for us to say, well, the progress is happening. Maybe it's not happening right in front of us right here, but there is still progress happening worldwide. And that's what we need. We need it to happen worldwide. We can't just have it happen here in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I was just in, I've been, we have a, as I mentioned, we have a program in in Poland and I was just in Warsaw a couple of weeks ago. I've been going fairly often and I'm very bullish on on Poland to make some big changes. And I went to a gay LGBTQ black tie business dinner sponsored by Nat West called the Diamond Awards there a couple of weeks ago. And I mean that, I mean, when you, from, you know, from the, the news that many people outside of Poland hear about LGBTQ free zones and, you know, all of this oppression, Mm -hmm. you know, there's really at the same time, a lot of very positive movement on the opposition and the liberal side of, of, of Poland. So I'm really very optimistic that we're going to see some some changes there in the coming year. Yes, I, it, it strikes me as very interesting to see some of the progress. Countries like, or cities like Nairobi, we're seeing progress. Kenya's seeing progress as well. In, in fact, they're including intersex people in their national census. So it was sort of great to see some of that progress. Kenya, you know, we actually have, it's also where we have an active program and our colleague in Nairobi has been working for the last three years to see some, some push here. And I think we see, you know, it's exciting because we are beginning to see this movement. It's still, you know, not ranked, it's, you know, fairly, it's ranked fairly low compared right. to other cities, but still that, that's, it's, it's, it's little, little pieces of movement like this, which then lead to, you know, the change in attitudes, which then leads to the legislative changes, you know, and we've been pushing for decriminalization there, you know, for the last three years too. And that will be a huge step forward if we get, if we can get to yeah. that place. And progress is progress. Right. <laughs> it was, it was, it was also striking to me, the, the word COVID-19 pandemic was just peppered all throughout this particular report for obvious reasons. I'm curious, you know, with some of the regression that we've seen in places like the United States and Europe, do we think that it's the COVID-19 pandemic was one of the big stressors that's causing some of that regression? I think it's more, we saw it more in places that rely heavily on tourism, I think is where we've seen the biggest changes. So it's countries and cities where 
there's a lot of tourism in the region because that whole travel and tourism industry was just, you know, brought down to nothing, really. Mm-hmm. And just as, as a reminder, we launched our 2020 report just right before the pandemic, or right actually in the first couple of months, although the data was based on, you know, recent data prior, just prior to the beginning of the pandemic. So we were probably way up here in terms of the bar at that point. And I think that during the COVID pandemic, we saw things really drop off. And now only are just beginning to see things, you know, move back to a more quote unquote normal state. But it was definitely economically, I think, you know, those cities I was mentioning before in Latin America really got hit a lot by the inability to travel during that period. And I think that's why we saw those cities drop to some degree. And it's more based on the economic indicators rather than the LGBT indicators. And that's sort of what saved their ranking was mm-hmm. the fact that their LGBT rank, those, that their LGBT rankings increased. Gotcha. Okay. So I was curious that with some of the regression that we are seeing, it sort of feels like this is the beginning of the, those red flags. Are you seeing red flags for the community as a whole? And if so, what do you think the appropriate response is right now for those of us in the UK, Europe, North America? Sadly, I think it's everywhere. I mean, there still is so much work to be done. And I think that, that you know, there's so many countries where the rights are still pretty awful, you know, open for business, even did a report on Uzbekistan last year or the year before last, you know, which is one of the worst places for LGBT people in the world. So, I mean, there's definitely a lot of backsliding in places like that, in places like Russia, in places like Hungary, which has just recently you know, passed some very draconian laws. And the sad news is that a lot of other countries see this in that region and start to think about, you know, some of the legislators there are thinking, well, maybe we should bring this kind of, you know, legislation to our country as well. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I think, you know, at the same time, there's still more been a more liberal faction that's that's pushing on, you know, reform and openness and realizing, you know, that there is an economic issue here as well. And that if their countries are taking these actions, there are going to be repercussions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think we just really try to encourage cities and countries to look at the data and a more at the, at the positive attributes of what what it can be and what what cities and, and and countries can be i mean you look at i mean amsterdam was number one in our rankings mm-hmm. this year i mean it's no surprise you know it is it's been traditionally a city that's just built on trade for hundreds of years and it's traditionally been a city that has been open and welcoming to queer people and, and and other minorities for many years as well. So, you know, it was, it was not a surprise that they, they made it to the top of the list. Again, actually, it's the second second time running. You know, as, as you're speaking, I'm just thinking about, you know, we did have Paul Donovan on the show and he talked about the, the fourth industrial revolution. Yeah. <laughs> and his argument was that, you know, he could see that LGBTQ folks would be sort of the scapegoats for some of the problems that people's individuals, cities, countries were dealing with. And I think when you couple the pandemic with inflation, that is a global issue right now, along with the struggles that the Ukraine war is having on the rest of the world and other challenges that the globe is facing, do you see a risk of that, Paul's theory, becoming true? Yeah. I mean, there's been a lot of scapegoating is, is sort of, you know, what's, what's really been 
the biggest challenge for LGBT people over the years. And I think, you know, especially places like Hungary that I was mentioning before, you know, we will see, you know, authoritarian leaders using the community as a way, you know, using the issues facing LGBT people as a wedge issue in, in politics. And, and we just see that happening more and more in so many countries. So, yes, I mean, obviously, you know, it's, it's, it takes a lot for policymakers and business leaders to be educated in this area. And it just takes a lot of time and energy. And it's, it's great that, you know, we have groups like yours that are sharing our message, maybe more to the, to, to the converted choir. But at least, you know, I think it's a new way what we see about this way of looking at LGBT inclusion from a financial perspective. It just begins to open a lot of open a lot of eyes, basically, to how cities can be more open and more welcoming. And I think it gets an it gets an ear in places like Poland, like I mentioned before, that tend to be very practical. I think the mm-hmm. Polish, you know, Poles have very ambitious economic goals and want to be. Move, move closer to their Western European counterparts in terms of quality of life and GDP and, and, and incomes and things like that. So they're really working very hard to do it. And I, I think that, you know, this argument really helps, especially in those environments where the economic aspirations of a country are really strong. And where if we have some, you know, good speakers and, and supporters of our, our work through the coalition members that we have, and especially including Accenture, which was, I neglected to say, the sponsor of this report, so thank them for all of this. When you have, you know, business leaders who are speaking out on these issues in these cities, then things start to happen. And, and, and that's what we're, we're excited about. What, you, what you're just mentioning brings up the question of are you possibly seeing that these countries are trying to prevent a brain drain because they know that they are losing more likely creative, intelligent, ambitious individuals because LGBT folks are leaving the country because they go get educated somewhere else and then they're like, I am, there's no way in hell I'm going back to that place because of all the freedoms that I experienced when I was in school somewhere else, whether it's London, the United States, or, you know, wherever the case may be. We have a lot of data on that from our reports that we did in the Caribbean last year and also the report that we did in Central and Eastern Europe that I, I wrote last year as well. And in that report, what's interesting in the countries we focused on in Central and Eastern Europe, Poland, Hungary, Ukraine, and Romania, we did an analysis of data collected by LinkedIn and the World Bank on what we call jobs of the future. And we saw in those countries that the brain drain was was, was very strong and that it was people were leaving to go to more open from our rankings, much more open societies. And they were coming into these countries from much less open societies. So you see it, you know, these these jobs are then, you know, the, the, the people are being replaced, so to speak, by people coming from much less open societies. That's not a good sign. You know, that doesn't help an economy grow. Yeah, and I think we hear it all the time, too. Just sorry to say, you know, from like Poland, we just had a summit in Warsaw in June of this year with a number of business leaders who were talking about this. And 
the head of Google in Poland said that they have 100 open jobs sitting there right now, and they have to compete internally with their other offices across Europe because people will say, oh, you know, do I want to work in Poland? Isn't Poland the place with these terrible LGBTQ free zones? Right. For folks, the vast majority of our audience are are U.S.-based, and it just makes me think about the the same thing happening in cities and states where people, you know, traditionally LGBT folks have have gravitated to some of the larger cities because of safety or because of quality of life, and that has left many of these cities with a brain drain, right? They they don't have the size or the breadth of, of diversity that a lot of other places have. It's a good lesson for us, but it's also, I think, a reminder of what can happen because if we drain the area too much, then what we're left with is the individuals who will raise the red flags. The, the, the polarization that we see happening in these places is oftentimes because we have people going to more inclusive places and leaving behind an echo chamber. <laughs> I mean, I totally agree. You know, we see, I mean, in, in countries or states or however you want to look at it, is that the people who are there really want to have a good quality of life. A lot of people don't want to get up and move and are working hard to ensure that they have a good quality of life and fighting for their rights and to have, you know, more freedoms that are, have been, that they've been declined over the years. And so we definitely see, and you know, I call these people patriots wherever they are, mm-hmm. who are, you know, working really hard to make those kind of changes. It's interesting because I, you know, I'm thinking about it's election day the midterm election day here in the United States. So it's, it's and it's been a very volatile midterm election, not more so than than in the, in the past. And there's a lot of talk about Donald Trump announcing tonight or in the next several hours that he's going to run again. And I've heard it before during the Bush years and whatnot. All many liberal colleagues and friends would say, "We're going to leave the country. We're going to we're going to go north. We're going to go to York. Whatever." And more, it was more bombastic and performative. But the last several years, last couple of years with the increasing risk that Trump would become president again and and possibly win, we've heard more people talking about that on the down low. They were quiet. Hey, my spouse and I, we just went down to Mexico to to check things out to see if we need to go. We're just doing our homework or we're checking out the golden visa over in, 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 Europe, just but they're not talking about it as loudly, and it almost feels like people are taking it more seriously. Planning, they're planning. actually get they're they're moving towards planning rather than than just going discussion. on Facebook and and you know and 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 you know like I said, being bombastic. So I guess you're, what your point is, I think you're, what you're alluding to, David, is, is 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 somebody has to stay in these locations to help fight for those rights, but some people are also thinking to themselves. I'm tired. I'm 50. I'm 60. I'm whatever, whatever the case may be, or I've been, I've been fighting this all my life. I want to go to where I don't have to fight anymore. But I guess what you're getting at is, is what is that healthy balance, right? Right. Right. I, I think it, it, there's a, well, and to be honest, I think this is where corporations can play a huge role, right? Is there, if there is no economic viability in these places where they're closed for business, then really then those places end up suffering and so the the role of the role of the corporations and telling corporations these cities are open for business i think this is really what we're getting at here is right does google want to or does amazon or wherever the, you know do they want to put something in 
Little Rock, Arkansas. I'm just throwing a city out there. No offense to folks in Little Rock, Arkansas, but you know, are you going to move to these? Are these corporations going to move to these places because they know they're going to have a list of a right. hundred open jobs sitting there for how right. long? Because people won't move there because they just cannot stomach moving there. I totally hear you. I think what we, you know, what one of the the tools that we use at Open for Business is a report we developed a few years ago called Channels of Influence which talks about the ways that companies can externally show their support for LGBT inclusion and what they can be doing. And I think that's super important now in these places, like you're saying, like in Poland or in Arkansas or wherever it may be, where there's more support needed for LGBT rights. And that includes things on the external side of a advocacy, you know, so the very, very bottom line about speaking out and speaking with policymakers about this issue. Be looking at supply chains and, you know, are your supply chains? And that's also a big issue for a lot of companies. So they may be based in a larger urban liberal city, but they may have a lot of supply chains and factories in places that are not so welcoming. And how, what kind of policies and practices can you put into place in those in those places that will help these companies become more open and, and, and willing. We look at where companies are making investments. We also talk a lot about, and especially in Europe, where I think it's even much more important, it's donating to LGBT causes, I think is, is, is a huge issue because and, and supporting the community. Because I think Especially in Europe, I was just shocked when I got here about how small the budgets are for so many organizations that are oh, really? really providing huge amounts of services. So, for example, I know like even in Paris, the LGBT center there is just, man, the only person on staff is a part-time volunteer, you know, who, who runs this Paris, organization. Which is with, massive. Yeah, exactly. You know, shocking, you know, to, to hear these, these kinds of stories. And then the last piece of the channels of influence, again, is, is about industries, you know, going to your industry organizations as a company and speaking out on these issues, raising these issues with your partners and peers, because that's especially in more challenging locations that, that I mentioned in countries that are more challenging. It's when companies can speak to each other peer to peer and talk about these issues. And that's when we start to see real excitement and movement from a lot of like the round tables that we've had with companies. We start to see a little bit of spark and people saying, you know what, we need to do more. Let's talk, what are you guys doing? What are you guys doing? And this is where companies actually come together more than they compete because they really want to, to improve their, their standing in terms of inclusion. So with the additional data that's showing the correlation between inclusivity and economic viability, innovation, quality of life in different locations, all that, and the work, that, of course, that Todd Sears is doing at OutLeadership with the return on equality and MVLE Badgett's correlation to direct GDP performance and inclusion, do you ever, when a city on your list drops, do you ever get a response to people to do cities or local politicians or anybody who say uh oh what did we do wrong or how did we how do we drop in this list or any any sort of response well it's interesting um just to that point we we've gotten a lot of press and media coverage of the reports and i think when especially when 
traditional media, newspapers and, and radio pick up on these issues in, in countries that are performing poorly. It is that reminder mm-hmm. of the, you know, as the press is this great job of that the press does to show that there is an opportunity here. And, you know, of course, we get backlash from, you know, people on the right who think right. it's, you know, LGBT people aren't special, all these other things. Why are you doing this? You know, what's your problem? Blah, blah, blah. But we also have seen some, you know, cities. We, we've actually worked with an American city a few years ago that was very interested in how they could improve their, their, their ratings. And we talked about, you know, what, what that might look like and how they can promote this, you know, and I think that we're seeing that a lot more now when, when cities are competing for whether it's a, a sports venue or a concert or this or a relocation of a corporate venue or something like that. We definitely see there's much more of a willingness to show how, how they're supporting LGBT and other minority populations in the region. How do you, when you do receive responses from those on the right saying that, you know, well, this report doesn't mean anything, LGBTQ people aren't special, how do you respond to that? Typically, we don't respond because I think that responding <laughs> may set us off in the wrong direction. Um, so I think we let, we, let, we let it go. I think, you know, I think it's, it's, I've read some of the comment sections and some of the publications, you know, when, when we're when they're quoting open for business research in some right wing publications in, in other countries. And yeah, it's just, yeah, I don't think that there's really an opportunity to argue in some yeah. of these place, cases. Because well, I, I don't even know that it's necessarily about LGBTQ people specifically. I mean, yes, I think different communities bring different qualities. And, and that, that our community has different qualities and the value that we can provide the broader society. Uh, but isn't it more even just about inclusion and letting people have the freedom to be who they are so they can be in an environment where they can be creative and be themselves and feel open to even to the point of feeling like I'm in a safe space that I can throw out this business idea and know that I'm not going to get completely excoriated for it, but that people are, are open to anything with the goal of you know improving the bottom line, whether that's the company, the city, or the country. Oh, exactly. I mean, one of the things, you know, we look open for business has what we three levels of, of indicators that we look at in our global research. So we look at the economic level, we look at the business level, and we look at the individual level. And, and that individual level is, you know, about things like what you were just saying, being your authentic self, going the extra mile. You know, when you feel comfortable every day going into your office and don't feel you have to hide, you know, who you're who you spent the weekend with, or, you know, the fact that you're you're you know, you you have kids with your part, you know, your same sex partner or whatever it might be, people are just much happier and more productive mm-hmm. overall. And so we definitely see that. We typically don't use those arguments so much in our reports just because we think the economic and business arguments that we have are going to be more effective with the policymakers and business leaders that we want to reach. Well, to but logical it's people. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's and I think that I said to logical people, <laughs> and I I think that's the point. Yeah, right? exactly. When you're talking about whether it's authoritarian or theocratic type of governments or regimes, they don't want the 
any anybody to rock the boat. They don't want anybody to get off the path. They want everybody to be marching in one direction, right? And so anything that looks slightly like it like it could challenge their or lead somebody to think that they could challenge them, they want to shut it down pretty quickly. And that's why not, they are. That's why the, the, those regimes and countries are probably happy and proud of the fact that they rank pretty low. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if there's no one's been actively saying, oh, my God, God, we're like, we're number, you know, 145 on the open business, open for business list. <laughs> I don't think there's been much activity in that regard. I think it's just more, you know, indifference more than anything else from, mm-hmm. from, from these, from these countries. But, you know, we get noticed, you know, we even when we did a report right before uh, Hungary passed this this very draconian law about, you know, very similar to what's in Russia about, you know, media, you know, portrayals of LGBT people in media and things like that. We put out a business brief and we got some press for it. And interestingly, we saw that the government, you know, was reading these and, and commenting, you know, the government's official media sources were actually, you know, commenting on the report. And, and, and so they definitely, we know that we're being, seen by important by important people and the same thing happened in poland when we came out with our report last year we found that the the charge d'affaires who's the acting ambassador in warsaw at the u.s embassy quoted our report in a major policy speech that he gave to his polish counterparts so we're definitely you know getting into under under the skin a little bit of, of these leaders whether they like it or not. And so I think they can't, you know, it's again, it's like you can't avoid the truth. You know, how far can you go to avoid the truth Mm -hmm. is the bottom line. So Mm -hmm. we're just hoping that we're going to get to a place that's going to be a little stronger, that more countries will start to realize this and and listen more than, than not listen. So with that, what more can the community, the LGBTQ community globally do to share Lists like uh, Open for Business and, and other lists that show the value, the the economic value, and other values of, of being more inclusive of LGBTQ people and of all people. Well, I think especially if you work for a large company that has what we you know employee resource group for queer people, I think it's wonderful to take this information to them. If you're working with that local activist groups in your in your area and you're thinking about what you could be. Doing, I think it's really important to look at this data. And even if your city is not covered, as you said, you know, because we can't cover every city, but I think you can, let's say, you can you have a pretty good sense of where your city stands economically and on LGBTQ issues. We, we haven't done anything breathtakingly new here. We're, we're using existing data sources for, for both of our LGBT and economic indicators, what we're doing that's interesting is just bringing it together and showing, showing, giving a, a more composite rating for cities than, than, than we've seen before. But I think that, you know, all, everyone can start to have these conversations in their own communities. And, and I think, you know, when we were talking before about things slipping back, especially in the U.S., you know, what else, what can be done? You know, we know that in places like Dallas and in Houston, you know, where at the state level, there have been some pretty crazy laws coming through on, on trans issues and parents and all of that. And these cities are, are not following in the, you know, they're saying they're standing up and that doesn't happen, you know, automatically, you know, sometimes, yes, there will be mayors that are, that are interested in it, but when there's enough push from the community, 
to make these changes, I think it really starts to change things. Right. Similarly, I mean, on the economic side, it's all, you know, what I mean, we think about what makes cities competitive. It's, you know, so it's, it's innovation, it's entrepreneurism, it's how easy it is to start businesses. And if, so if you have, if you're involved in the business community in these, in these areas, you may want to also look at, you know, how, how good a job is your is your city doing in these areas as well? So there's there's definitely opportunities for improvement on both sides of, of the equation, so to speak. So share the data, share the data. Yeah. So with that, how can our audience get more information on Open for Business as well as your city rate city ratings list sure. for 2022? Sure. So just one the way you can follow us on social media, on Twitter. What we know currently is Twitter. <laughs> it's at <laughs> at OFB underscore LGBT. That's relatively easy. Our website is openforbusiness.org, but that's open hyphen for hyphen business.org. If you just Google open for business city ratings, you'll get to our page. So open for business city ratings is the easiest way to get there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, George, for reaching out sharing the list with us. It's very informative to David and me, and we're excited to, to keep track of the list as you produce more, because I think it'd be interesting to see how cities evolve. Yeah. Yeah. So we, uh, we are definitely thinking about creating an LGBT business and financial data resources page on the queermoneypodcast.com website, because we have talked about this for a long time, there's been a dearth of data and we are starting to see more data and we want to collectively put it somewhere where folks who listen to the podcast and otherwise can find this, this kind of data. So we'll be linking to it on our, our website, definitely. Fantastic. Cool. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Make sure to check out more ways that Capital One can help you achieve financial well-being at CapitalOne.com. That's CapitalOne.com. Thank you for listening to another Queer Money. Here's your takeaway from this episode. Yes, there's a moral case and a human rights case for LGBTQ plus equality. But we also need to be able to speak the language of the economic case so we can spread equality for more people to more places. Learn the language of LGBTQ plus economic equality. A good start is Open for Businesses 2022 City Ratings, which is linked to in your podcast player. Then join us Thursday for another bonus episode of Queer Money and our regular scheduled show next Tuesday. Thank Thanks. you and have a great week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.